also some of my earliest memories are potting up plants, taking cuttings of geraniums. Um, yeah, and I soon started putting a lot of plants into my parents' garden. I remember the first plant I planted into the garden was actually a house plant. I'm not even sure why, so my gardening skills obviously needed to improve from that stage. Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. Today I'm really, really excited. We're joined by Michael Perry, who has been in the industry for a very, very long time. If anyone is on Instagram, looks up plants and things, I'm certain he would have popped up and you would have noticed his stuff. Um, He's also known as the Plant Geek and we had a great conversation about all things plants, bits about the industry and and really, really loads of useful tips and um, some real good insight into what he he does and another part of the industry that perhaps if you're looking to go into horticulture you hadn't thought of um, and we had a great chat and it was really really good to talk to him he's a, a font of knowledge um, has worked in the industry like I said for for a very long time so without further ado let's start the podcast hi you're listening to plants and me the podcast that is all about plants gardening and the people who are passionate about them with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Hey, how you doing? Very good, thank you. Now, whereabouts are you? Uh, at the moment, I'm just outside Cambridge in a place called God Manchester, which is kind of where I spend most of my downtime when I'm in the UK. But it's not that often I get downtime. So I've had two <laughs> days here kind of catching up with admin. And yeah, I'm nearly bored of it. <laughs> I'm like itching to like get out of the house and explore again because I don't know, my career has just become a very on the go career as, as I'm in demand for kind of chatting about plants to everyone, really. Yeah, which is fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your career. Where did it all start? Oh, gosh. Um, it started really when I was just five years old, gardening with my grandparents, you know, when when you're a kid, you're you're often sent to your grandparents to spend time with them because your parents are, you know, dropping you off there or whichever. And yeah, so some of my earliest memories are potting up plants, taking cuttings of geraniums. Um, yeah, and I soon started putting a lot of plants into my parents' garden. I remember the first plant I planted into the garden was actually a house plant. I'm not even sure why. So my gardening skills obviously needed to improve from that <laughs> stage, but. Yeah, I remember making a little pond as well. I had loads of wild flowers. I was really into herbs as well. So by the time I was a teenager, I was actually selling herbs through a, a kind of little ad in the back of Gardener's World magazine. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a mini, mini, mini company called Springfield Herb Nursery. And I'd been in my parents' attic the other day and I actually found one of the first catalogs as well. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, I was a real geeky kid and I had a photocopier and a and a fax machine at home as well that assisted me in fulfilling the 20 orders I had in the lifetime of the company or something. So it was <laughs> a funny little enterprise, but obviously part of a, an early entrepreneurial career, really. Yeah, definitely. And would you would you lean towards you, you being a, uh, uh, you're obviously known as the plant geek. Um, people might not know that, but you are known as the plant geek. Um, would you lean towards saying you're a gardener or an entrepreneur? Where, where do you think you sit? Yeah, do you know what? I think kind of primarily I would say a plantsman because I've had a long career with Thompson & Morgan introducing a lot of the new plants and, you know, putting together the marketing behind them, choosing the new varieties, putting together new concepts. 
that kind of hasn't afforded me a lot of first-hand gardening experience in terms of uh, career-wise. Obviously, I've been gardening on the side on an amateur level, but my only real training in horticulture in those terms would be a national diploma at college, which was, of course, really variable. And so a lot of what I've learned on the job is really new product development and kind of new plant discoveries, kind of the PR and the media that goes behind that as well. So I would say number one, plantsman. Number two, lazy gardener, because <laughs> I'm always into the shortcuts, the hacks. But that actually is of great interest to people, especially new newcomers to the gardening world as well. So very often I do little pieces on ITV this morning and they're often based around those kind of gardening hacks or kind of what you can do with banana skins and nappies and all of that stuff. So, yeah, so that's plantsman number one, um, lazy gardener number two, and entrepreneur kind of weaving all between both of those, really. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually what you're describing there, I think it's sometimes when people think about uh, being in horticulture, they often associate it with a job sticking a spade in the ground or something like that and it's so varied yeah and you know when i when i left college or more when i when i left school i not to be snobbish about it but i didn't i didn't want to be a gardener or a landscaper that wasn't really what i wanted to do i, I don't know if that was because i was lazy or just because i was looking for something more something a bit different within that industry and i think with the career that i've developed it's not at all anything you could describe to anyone it's like when you think of going into horticulture could you imagine that that would be you know including kind of tv and kind of you know the different things that i've done and the different travel as well so that's why i really want to kind of get the message across to people that horticulture is not just digging gardens you know it's so much more than that there's so many different facets and especially now that we have a golden moment in horticulture as well hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I also think um, people think of it, uh, it's your garden outside, but of course, tomatoes need to be grown, veg needs to be grown, herbs. And so it can also be from an environmental point of view. Oh, 100%. And people are really starting to switch on to that now, which is great. So yeah, there's more interest than ever from a wide range of demographics. And it's really, you know, it's music to my ears. But at the same time, I'm quite popular and getting a lot of work because I've got that kind of youthful outlook, but I've also got the knowledge, I've got the experience, I know the industry really well. So I've kind of got that kind of bonus of both worlds, which is really um, affording me well. Excellent. And you, Thompson & Morgan is a household name, so you just rolled up, knocked on the door and said, can I have a job? Yeah, well, <laughs> again, I've been discovering all these former kind of newspaper articles and all the kind of jazz around that um last few days um i was at the end of college um wasn't really sure what i was going to do going forward from that i didn't used to be a very good forward planner well i'm still i'm still not in a degree i like to kind of follow my instincts on stuff mm -hmm. so kind of that was what i was doing towards the end of school went to college towards the end of college that's also what i was doing so i saw uh kind of article in the newspaper which was challenging readers of that newspaper to design a garden and that garden was going to be based at thompson and morgan's headquarters it was in conjunction with bbc radio suffolk as well so i put my thinking cap on um i was working with a garden designer at that time as well and he must have helped with some advice i would say because i was wouldn't have had this great knowledge of plants but 
we actually put together a really nice planting plan of plants that were raised in Suffolk. And so that included plants such as the iris from Benton End, uh, pinks that were bred by Mendelssohn Pinks on the A140. And I actually dug out this map, not map, plan of the garden the other day. And it's really, it's quite cool to see that. It really was. And the original article is there, which is then calling out for the designs. Um, yeah, and I won the competition. And they then built the garden. I won a greenhouse. Um, I think £100 worth of seeds, all of that jazz. And kind of, it gave me really an in to Thompson & Morgan, I guess. And yeah, I, I remember, well, I don't quite remember, but I obviously wrote in afterwards and asked them for a job. And it must have, like, this must have been really near the end of college. So I was really right up to the wire on this stuff. And I wrote in, and I think um, someone obviously replied, and I went in for a little kind of informal interview. And, yeah, and within a couple of weeks, I think I was starting the job there. <laughs> I remember it all happened as a whirlwind, really. I think it was literally from early June, and then I was starting mid-July, something like that. What did you join as? Well, yeah, I was working for the horticultural manager at the time as his assistant, really. So I was starting to learn what it was like to develop new plants, kind of how to put it together, copywriting of the seed packets as well. So that whole world of kind of marketing of the plants, really. And so it was it's like a dream job from the word go. I remember one of the first little tasks we had was to collect a black flower delphinium from a garden centre in Chelsea in London. So we were like sniffing out these new plants that happened to occur in different people's gardens or nurseries. Another time um, I flew to Scotland on my own when I was only 18 and collected a star-shaped petunia as well. Okay. Yeah. I remember coming back with it in the bag on EasyJet. It was like, <laughs> it was kind of crazy, like kind of plant hunting world, but not in a not in a way that you're kind of clambering up cliffs and kind of through the jungle, but kind of domestic plant hunting that's yeah that's what it is actually domestic plant mm. hunting i'm going to use that phrase now yeah and actually people would assume that has died and gone and maybe these new varieties just always appear in a in a lab but that's not the case no not at all so many of the new varieties at thompson and morgan were just chance findings in gardens you know if you look back at blooms of Bressingham as well in the 80s a lot of their key introductions were you know you know, chance little pieces that grew in gardens. And like, you know, you might have a plant that is green all over, then suddenly it has a variegated shoot, then you're in, you know, you've got a new variety straight away. It's mm. just incredible how that can happen. And I remember we were always on these crazy journeys to get plants or we, we had people around the world that were then sending us unusual plants, such as the, the Blue Busy Lizzie, which was, um, I think founded in um, Nepal, I believe it was. And then we did a bit more work on that because we had our own breeding program. So we were able to almost kind of refine a lot of these varieties and then release them to the public as well as creating a lot of our own behind the scenes. And the breeding program at Thompson Morgan was like the kind of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of plants. It was just amazing. The sort of, we just had an idea and we had a great team of breeders. We, we made it happen. Then, you know, down to me to put the marketing behind it and, you know, always looking for that different thing. So some of the ideas that we would come up with sounds quite crazy sometimes, but it was, that is the way PR works, you know. So um, I don't know, like creating a blue verbascum, you know, <laughs> looking at creating black hyacinths, you know, all of this stuff or marketing things in different ways. So 
climbing petunias were just trailing petunias that we trained upwards but then suddenly we got a new concept with a plant that already existed hmm. so it's just thinking differently about this stuff it's, it was always such a buzz interesting and actually and maybe this is more interesting for me than than it is lots of people but do you think that the trends in gardening are started at that stage or do they follow consumers or is it a bit of both I guess, yeah, I mean, it's, you've got different markets, really, because what I was doing at Thompson Morgan was mail order. And I think the mail order world is very different to garden centre world. Because the garden centre world, you, you've you got to have a plant that looks good on the bench, flowers relatively early in the season. That might be through early flowering or it might be through being treated with a product, such as a dwarfing agent, which keeps it small, makes it flower to look neat and tidy on the bench. When it comes to mail order, you don't have to worry about any of those concepts because you're selling a plug plant that the customer grows on. And that actually opens so many doors for you because actually you can then sell um, some of the best trailing begonias because they would just tangle up on the garden center bench and look a real mess. You can then only grow those really and buy those through mail order. Rosebud flowered geraniums, they don't look the best as a young plant, so you wouldn't really buy them in the garden centers. So a lot of the products we were developing and choosing were often in a crazy way, like rejects from the breeding programs, because they didn't fit into the bigger market, which was the garden center. But we would be there kind of like almost sometimes like sniffing around the skips out the back to like find these varieties that they didn't have that big market for. So they really, a lot of the breeders didn't have their eyes open to the world that, you know, if there's a new kind of marble flowered petunia, you know, that might not actually flower when it's small. It might be scraggy. It might look like a pig in the garden center, but that doesn't matter to a mail order customer because they're looking for a good garden plant that they're likely to grow on as a plug and then have that joy in their gardens and not have potentially something from a garden center that is, a little bit shorter than they imagined or kind of not the real thing so there's really two markets out there and they're quite distinct when you start to pull it apart hmm. yeah and i remember having a conversation from uh, there's a very large garden center not a million miles from where you're sitting now and um having a conversation about bacopa uh, and bacopa snowflake was all this place would order um it didn't matter what variety we grew at the, the time and a bad cope is a, a, a nice trailing hanging basket plant and um they just wouldn't order anything else and they just said all our customers want is bacopa snowflake so i think sometimes it's also habit yeah i think as well but interestingly bacopa is a product that would never sell in a mail order catalog i think because it was so plentiful in the garden centers someone wouldn't really yeah they probably already bought it in the garden center or perhaps the mail order customer was more discerning and was looking for those different things in the catalog. So they weren't interested in Bacopa. The only time that we would then be able to sell Bacopa is when the really unique double flowered ones that almost had blooms like hollyhocks came out, which have lovely, um, there was a nice mauve one, you know, really different look. And that is where mail order really came into its own, these really distinctive different things. But a lot of those, sadly, the garden centers can't offer because they don't look like neat plants when they're young. And at the end of the day, in the garden centre, unless you're looking in the A to Z section of perennials, plants need to look good all the time because the annuals tend to be usually on the kind of um, main displays, don't they? So they're yes. the ones that need to look good. And the annuals are 
very much kind of in and out. They're impulse purchases more than the perennials and the shrubs and stuff. So they've got to really look good for that moment to be snapped up by the buyers. So it's fascinating that there's two different worlds. But, you know, in that way, they almost don't really compete with each other at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So you, you do all this um, involved with the breeding and, and the PR of these new introductions and things like that. Um, when did you move on from Thompson & Morgan? Um, so I was at Thompson Morgan for 18 years, which was a really fantastic career. I had a bit of a break in the middle for some traveling for nine months. And then um, during my time there, I obviously built through with media work, kind of they pushed me on to do a few little bits on TV here and there, uh, mainly to do PR on plants, and then started doing a bit on QVC. And kind of towards the end of the time, it, I guess I was getting a few kind of little side projects that were coming up. Um, yeah, I just felt, oh, maybe I'll be freelance and kind of see what would happen. And I guess as exciting as my job were, it was, you know, you were doing that same thing for quite a few years as well. So it's nice to have a different challenge to be kind of in charge of yourself a little bit. So I, I took the leap. Um, because of like the R&D, I was on like a six month notice period. So it was a long time to then kind of wrap up things. But it was great because I handed over a really nice kind of handover document and all that jazz and then moved to freelance which again I never have really planned ahead too much kind of just followed my instinct and I've actually my partner's been working abroad for the last few years and so I've actually been following him quite a lot in terms of where I've then been working so when I first left Thompson and Morgan he was actually working in New York so I then actually almost like serendipitously ended up getting to work in Florida on HSN Shopping Channel, which was then great because, well, Florida to New York is a closer commute than New York to London. So it's kind of, it wasn't too bad, but it's just crazy how everything just happened to fall, fell into place at different points. And I started doing some different consultancy work uh, for a few kind of newer entrepreneurial horticultural companies and copywriting, a bit of new product development for Sutton's. And then the last couple of seasons, obviously, a lot more of the TV work has kicked in as well. Hmm. Hmm. So you were over in uh, New York in, in America. Did you notice any difference in horticulture over there compared to the UK? Uh, in terms of the street planting, it's a little bit more jazzy. Um, the streets, obviously, are either baking hot or kind of deeply shaded. There's a lot of kind of weather changes. So they tend to rely on a lot of like begonias and kind of really tough stuff like foliage plants. That was quite interesting. Um, I remember going to a Cultivate trade show. That was quite nice because I was helping to develop a lot of the plants for the for the shows, what we would offer as well. And it wasn't so different. Perhaps there was a lot more different foliage colours we used, so like golden foliage, purple foliage, which were often a bit more shy of here in the UK. They were used. And obviously, in a lot of regions, the door was open to then offer more unusual things that would be used in bedding, such as, Ipomea, sweet potato with the different colored leaves and um, like gardenias that would actually bloom outside and not like the hardy one. I'm not sure if that performs as well as they say it does <laughs> in the UK. But yeah, so it was a little bit different. It was nice to learn and also different kind of working practices. I mean, I've worked with a lot of different countries now and it fascinates me the different ways that countries work. And there's, there's great things and frustrations about about all of the cultures, you know. Hmm. And you mentioned working in, in various different countries. Uh, you've done a bit of, uh, is teaching the right word in, in Japan? Yeah, so I'm actually off there um, in a week or so. Again, I've been working with Barakura for 
probably about five seasons now. And it's, yeah, it's hard to describe what the style is. We actually, we plant up containers and I've learned as much from them as they've learned from me because they plant up containers in almost like a living floristry style. So when I first arrived, I was like, well, what are we doing here? Because they actually, they shoehorn as many plants into a container as possible. And that could be a mixture of shrubs, annuals, herbs, trees, blah, 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 all sorts of stuff. Like you're kind of like, they won't grow together for very long. They won't be this, blah, blah, blah. Like in the UK, we wouldn't get away with that because we always try and be horticulturally correct. We also try and get a lot of value out of our plants, sometimes like um, unreasonably as well, I believe. But there, they kind of, they're really just going for it and they're living flower arranging. So they only want that container to look good for maybe three or four weeks and then they'll dismantle it, perhaps plant it elsewhere, perhaps shock horror for it in the bin. But it was a really different thing to get used to, but it actually it unlocked all my creativity because then we could make these containers that really mix two plants you wouldn't expect together and it was like a phenomenal and i can't wait to be there again because i get the run of the nursery and the garden center to then choose all of these plants and make these different color blends or different kind of really otherworldly living plant displays and they are perfectly fine for three or four weeks and that is all they're looking for with that and they actually do a container competition each season as well and this you know there's a lot of creativity there and there's one particular student she does a lot of stuff with the miniature plants and the stuff she creates is just brilliant i love working with those guys there again very different working culture as well which is then different to when i'm then working in china or in holland or or anywhere it's really it's really fascinating i feel very lucky to have a career that's kind of spread around the world a little bit as well so. yeah yeah, it's very good. And actually, it only takes one glance at your, your Instagram um, to realize why you inspire so many people. Um, I was just looking at it before we, we started chatting. This why is it then? I don't, I just, at the end of the day, Instagram and social media is, I see it mostly as my shop window to show what I'm up to, which then, of course, I feel that inspires people. But it's also kind of, I guess, in a way, kind of to advertise myself in a way to get work but yeah i don't know it's i'm just taking people on a journey I yeah guess. yeah how's it look from the outside <laughs> ah, is it well yeah it interesting enough um from the outside uh looking at your feed uh now i've been in horticulture for a, for a long time um my grandfather started our our nursery and quite clearly anyone that's in horticulture realizes that we don't know all plants but I only have to scroll through your feed to find loads and loads of plants I've never seen before yeah. in my life. Oh, that's mm. cool. <laughs> um, so from from a plant lover, there's that side of it. Um, quite interesting as well. It's uh, not many people would necessarily see it as an insight into other parts of the industry because they might not look at the pictures in the same way. But I'm looking at a picture now of, um, I'm guessing somewhere in Holland of some, some cut flowers and things like that. It's just nice to see that side of the industry shown. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I guess I'm giving a window to all the different facets that we have in horticulture, really, which is, yeah, it's fun, really. And I think I'm, I'm quite unique there as well because you know, I've been around a long time, so I'm quite connected in the industry. I know a lot of the PR guys as well, but now I'm kind of coming into this social media world and I'm then kind of sharing a lot of that. And I don't think I'll ever run out of content because there's so many stories over the years and kind of 
so much stuff I know about the plants as well. And it's such a pleasure to share that with people. And it and it kind of warms my heart that people are really into plants now as well. Because as a kid, as an embarrassed kid, you know, being a plant geek, I didn't know this day would ever come. You know, I was hiding in my shed at the weekend, kind of never telling my friends about my uncool hobby. But now everything has changed and it's just phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah. It is, and actually, one part of that massive growth in horticulture, from from my perspective at least, is houseplants in the UK. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think uh, Instagram has got a lot, lot to answer for. No, that sounds negative. Uh, Instagram has had a big influence on that, which is fab because it's very visual. You know, before that, Facebook was great social media platform but it was pictures as well as text and if you weren't really into pictures you didn't have to put a nice picture on there you perhaps didn't have the pride in what you were putting there twitter is not primarily pictures either since instagram came along that people i guess realized that plants are something that is very photogenic um people then were able to connect with other people that had these niche interests i guess and that is why it's been great for me because, you know, I used to think I was the only one that loved plants in this way. But now you can find someone that also loves Liriope or kind of really unusual plants, which is great. So that's opened it up. Obviously, well-being and people recognizing that plants are better for us and good in the home. So air purification and all that jazz. So, yeah, it's really I think social media has been the catalyst for it all, really, hmm. to be honest. Yeah. But uh, I'm always sitting here kind of like, oh, but when will it end? I'm like always like feeling really English and pessimistic about it. But <laughs> got to ride it while I'm here. But kind of it's amazing because like even people that wouldn't have even grown a plant before or would have laughed at me for loving plants. And now, you know, they've now got a plant called Fred on the shelf and they care for it. And same as it was a pet. You know, it's just incredible. Yeah, it is um, without a doubt. And um it's quite interesting. We see specifically from a well-being and a, a food point of view, because we're we're predominantly herb and chili growers. Um, we see the two cultures colliding, um, and it's really interesting. And actually, see peak gardeners getting slightly younger, um, which is is really nice to see. I'm uh, 38, um, and I started in, in the family business at around 21, 22 after a few years of rebelling and saying i'd never join (laughs) (laughs) but there was no one in the industry uh really um, not no one but there was very few people in the industry in their early 20s yeah i guess it just wasn't seen as cool or not as many opportunities or i mean what is annoying they always look at horticulture being low paid but of course a lot of the sections of it may well be but also there are a lot of sections that you might not think are horticulture that are like you know a lot of the different things that I've been privy to, like the marketing, the development, the kind of behind the scenes stuff, you know, people tend to think it's just being a gardener, which is hopefully we're educating that. And people are seeing, you know, from people like me on social media, that if you want to have a career in horticulture, it could include absolutely anything. You know what I mean? There's so many things that link back to horticulture. And because you've done so many in parts of horticulture and you've you've seen lots of sides of it, if someone was, let's say, another plant geek, plant geek junior, um, wanting to get into horticulture, where do you think they should start? Mm-hmm. Gosh, like that. I'm never too sure because I guess I've learned most of my stuff through doing 
and kind of being out there and taking opportunities. I mean, yes, I went to college for two years, but I also was working for a garden designer who introduced me to a lot of different people and kind of I got exposure that way even before the world of social media came along, I guess. Um, but now with social media, it gives you direct access to almost anyone. So you can be confident, you can kind of show what you can do. There's, you know, I kind of think back how difficult it must have been years ago to kind of like get in contact with someone specific or kind of make an opportunity happen. But all the tools are there in front of you these days. And I would say always um, kind of put yourself across professionally as well. I think a lot of people go wrong with that and they kind of, they kind of get a bit mixed up or they kind of don't, you've always got to be able to, yeah, just handle yourself professionally, kind of be polite, kind of show your knowledge. Yeah. And just be interesting as well, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. But I guess it's easier to be interesting when it's something you're interested in. Hmm. So I guess if you truly got the passion, then it should be easy. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, it's quite interesting. You can all of us have come across people in in our walks of life where they're very, very quiet, and all of a sudden you get them on a subject, and you just can't stop them talking. Yeah, exactly. But it is. I would say it is again. I mentioned earlier. I use social media as my shop window. It's my portfolio. It's my CV. And a lot of people say to me, "Oh, I really want to get work as this or that," but they don't show any of that in their social media profiles these days. If we're looking into someone, we'll We'll Google them and find out about them before we even meet them or consider them. So, like, how can you approach a company suggesting you'll do a certain sort of work if you haven't shown that you've done that in your portfolio, your online portfolio already? You know, people might find, oh, why should I do that? But but people will search because people have got less time these days. They want to know, you know, what the person's up to. And also, if if you're showing out there what you do, then the opportunities might well even come to you. You might not need to chase around for them anyway. So, yeah, yeah just kind of show what you can do and be professional about it. Yeah, definitely. And for the people who are out there don't want to do it as a job um, but haven't um, haven't grown anything before, I think we've all heard of these alleged black-fingered gardeners uh, <laughs> that say they're going to kill everything. Um, what, would you, what would you say to them? Well, it depends what they're going to grow. Um, if someone asks me why their plant died, I'll usually tell them they overwatered it. That's usually the case, isn't it? <laughs> because yeah. I think, I don't, although I don't know, maybe it's instinctive. Like I, I could tell instinctively when a plant needs water. And I think, I don't know, you just get the feeling. So it's better to underwater than overwater. Um, but anyone can grow. I mean, start off with some stuff that's easy. I think the, there's a pro common misconception that there's a correct way to do everything in horticulture. Mm. And there isn't at all. And it's okay if you fail. And of course, plants, you know, but at the end of the day, plants are living things. They're like people. They're not all going to behave the same way. Just because you've bought this tomato plant and it's likely to give you 20 fruits. If it gives you 15 fruits, that is not your failure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So kind of people got to look at it that way. And it's so variable, you know, the soil, the this, the that. There might be other things you then have success on. Like people are just too hard on themselves. And that's why with what I do, I like to show the brighter side of horticulture and the kind of, you know, the lazy gardening side a bit, because I think some of the kind of gardening broadcasts could be a little bit over serious and it kind of alienates people when they are feeling a bit less confident about stuff and kind of like, I'm not sure if I can do that. It's like, well, they need to feel like they're not going to be judged perhaps mm. if they do get it wrong. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. Know, worst, worst of all, by themselves, you know? <laughs> yeah. And actually, we uh, that brings me to a question um, about failures. Um, anyone who's been gardening for even a couple of hours but anyone's been gardening for a long period of time uh would have failed numerous times and whether you call it a failure or not is a is a up for debate but have you had any notable failures oh yeah i could be really rubbish at red plants <laughs> 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 yeah i mean uh what is not good for me is obviously i'm away a lot so it's not easy and and i think one of the if you are trying to like keep a lot of plants or trying to keep a garden happy then there's a real like illusion that we say it's not that much work, but it can be a lot of work, you know, it really can. So mm. you've got to think of ways to make that easier for yourself, you know, whether you're you know, going for no lawn or having less containers or, or this and that, because of course people forget containers are a lot of work because they don't really get the rainfall. So you're always going to need to water them yourselves. You're going to have to maintain them. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one failure recently that was quite comical actually. Um, I did. I was doing some demos um, with some outdoor. No, what was it? With some different perennial plants, planting them into a big half barrel. And something that we often do, like with that sort of stuff, when it's like a live demo, and we do a lot of this in Japan. If the if the container is super big, we're not going to fill that whole thing with soil because it like takes a long time. Also, if it's not something that you're going to use afterwards or it's going to have a lot of soil in there, which then costs a lot of money as well. Also harder to lift, you know, all of those things. So we often would half fill them with polystyrene just for the purpose of that kind of, you know, because you're just building it to take a shot. It's likely that you're going to break that down afterwards and kind of, you know, move the plants on elsewhere. It's not really going to be used again. So I'd made up some different containers. I brought them to the, to the friend that I'm staying with here in God Manchester. And this was way back, like in the spring. And they were some lovely, mixed containers with this and that and kind of and then i think he he messaged me a couple of weeks ago and i think there was some problem with the drainage or something because there he then dug around a little bit and he was kind of like he uncovered like literally a couple of inches down there was like you know all of this polystyrene he was like this is just a fake container it's like and i've forgotten that like that was only a kind of dummy container so <laughs> we'd like gone on and grown it through the season and then suddenly the plants were not looking their happiest and then we're like oh yeah damn it yeah no that's half full of polystyrene yeah <laughs> we always do that in demos yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's like a big kind of expose yeah. for the the plant world and demos it, and actually it's uh it's the same for um when we do the rhs shows yeah yeah yeah, yeah. partly because when we're jumping up and down on the stage and even though it might only be a a, a foot high i'm notorious for not actually making my mind up for a display until literally probably about an hour before a judge comes around. So I'm up and down that I don't know how many times. And if you can make it any lighter, trust me, you would. Um, so we have polystyrene and sometimes um, it, we used to grow in, in peat years and years ago, um, but we still got the bags the peat used to come in. And if you scrunch those up, they fit quite nicely as well. <laughs> Yeah, because I think with this container, I think part of it had collapsed as well. So it was like, suddenly it's like this sinkhole where like one of the plants had like fallen through. It's like, how did that happen? <laughs> and of course, because my friend's not from that world at all, he's kind of like, just, what? <laughs> so yeah, so that was a bit of fail. Um, yeah, I've always like been trying to grow plants that really weren't for my, for my household climate before now as well. So that's always a bit 
saddening that we can't just grow whatever we want to, but you, you can't. You've got to grow in the conditions you've got. So, hmm. damn. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you sit on um, changing your conditions and environment and things like that? Um, there's lots of grow lights around these days and stuff like that. Uh, to be honest, I've really usually gone with what I can grow, and I haven't ever experimented too much with grow lights, to be honest. So couldn't give too much of an answer on that. I did have one of those, oh, what was it called? There's like some inbuilt little thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've explained it really poorly. I'm sorry. It was a little herb. <laughs> yeah, herb you know thing. the one, actually, yeah. the white one that kind of has yep. the, the lights above the top. And it was supposed to be self-watering, and I had one of those in the apartment in New York. But I think maybe with the way I travel these days, perhaps like it doesn't self-water for six weeks. So it, it failed. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really like, my career is really on a such an unusual tra- trajectory at the moment because I don't, I used, I kind of crave spending time with the plants and actually gardening because it's, I'm just kind of off to lecture there or do this or kind of speak at this flower show and that. It's not, I'm not getting that much time to actually garden day to day. And like, and it feels fine for a couple of seasons, but I'm kind of like itching to kind of get, a garden to kind of like really get my teeth into again. I mean, I'm staying with this friend just outside Cambridge and we've sort of, I've influenced the garden that he's created here and helped out a little bit. So that's been nice, but I haven't had anything to create myself that I then look after for a few years now since, since I moved freelance actually, because I used to have a three bedroom house with garden, all of that, but then moving to freelance and becoming a little bit more global. That's one of the things that kind of had to change really. So, yeah, but for the good as well. Exactly, and yeah. it's, it's an interesting thing, actually. The more successful you get in horticulture, often when I speak to people, maybe it's the same for every industry, the less you actually do yeah. of growing. It's it's kind of crazy. It really is. I mean, I'm doing still things like demos and when I'm at places or filming, but I'm still not seeing the journey of something necessarily. So, yeah, I mean, I'll try and get back to that where I can, but at the moment, kind of, things just keep coming in it's just it's brilliant <laughs> obviously you've got to ride the wave while it's there because hopefully i'm inspiring a whole team of new gardeners to get involved mm. yeah oh I, I definitely think you are without a doubt um could you you do qvc you're quite visible you're you're in lots of lots of places but you've also got a podcast yeah yeah, yeah. we've got the plant-based podcast which i set up with my friend and colleague ellen and yeah, we're on to series two now. It's going really well. People really like it. And it's kind of, it's a great tone. And it's the tone that I really like to have. But it's the tone that you don't necessarily have when you do things on TV. Because you have to be a little bit more serious. When something's kind of your own baby, you can kind of make that the tone you want to be. And it is really quite relaxed. It's very knowledgeable. And we ask a lot of sensible, inquisitive questions. But without that kind of smug kind of, um over serious kind of manner that you can get from some different outlets there also we have a nice little kind of gossipy bit at the end which we enjoy putting together where we can then show a little bit more of our personalities as well and of course it's all about plants but the wider scope of plants so you know plants that you can eat plants that you can wear you know we also do um we've done a couple of episodes on cbd as well which is obviously the extract from cannabis Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a really interesting journey. And, yeah, I think we will be doing quite a few series because people have loved it. It's been in top five of uh, iTunes Leisure Chart as well. So, 
yeah, really, really happy with how that's come across, really. Brilliant. We had Ellen on the on the podcast um, a few months yeah, back. Yeah, did she um, behave herself? Yeah. She did, yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> she <laughs> was uh, sitting back and relaxing on the sofa, I believe. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and she's very, very knowledgeable. And another one of those people who, who are inspiring lots of people to, to get out in the garden. And I shouldn't necessarily say that, but maybe plant some pots on a windowsill as well. We're, we're less serious and I think when you're less serious you make something more accessible to your audience as well because they don't feel like they have to compete with you they feel like they're going to work with you on it and of course you know, I've said to you I can be an awful gardener you know what I mean that's like that's just being honest but that makes you so much more real you know what I mean from the off yeah definitely and horticulture I think more than some industries has really suffered from it yeah why is that I really don't know like this industry can be so like hierarchical. Hmm. It really and like very like for many years, like I would look too young that people wouldn't want to follow my advice or kind of they then ask someone else. Um, I always remember like um, where was it? I think I was doing a talk in a garden club like only a year or so ago, and this guy came up to me with this picture and he was like, "What is this? We've been trying to find out what this is. We've got no idea. We've been searching for years." And he shows me this picture, and I kind of like, Mirabilis, you know, four o'clock plant. And I tell him straight away what it is. That's it. We're done. And like, <laughs> and I don't like much chat. If I've told you what it is, then that's it. Like, what? Well, I don't need to discuss it. I know what it is. I've told you what it is. You asked me what it was. There you go. We're done. But then he's still kind of like, well, we're really not sure. We really can't work it out. It's been puzzling us for ages. And it's like, I don't know if they're in disbelief that someone would know it, someone that potentially looks younger and a little bit more hipsters and they might be but i hate being called a hipster um or they enjoy having the problem as well like it's kind of like they don't want to solve the problem otherwise they won't have anything to talk about i don't know it's just really bizarre because like and i think he went away probably then asking other people what this plant was and it's like if i know what it is i'm going to tell you concisely what it is and then there you go i've solved your problem isn't that what you wanted it's <laughs> <laughs> really crazy i remember um uh someone coming to ask me about their their chili plant uh they wanted to know what variety it was and they started listing off information about it and as you can imagine naming a specific variety of chili from a description is quite hard but his wife ended up coming and bringing a picture because he was saying it's it's really not hot at all and i said well they're not all really hot etc and this picture got presented to me and I said, I can see your problem. You haven't got a chilli plant. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? I think, I don't entirely know. It didn't even have a leaf like a chilli. Um, I tried to explain it to my dad. Uh, it, it, it was a much narrower leaf than I'd ever seen. It definitely looked like it was in the nightshade family, but I wasn't entirely sure what it was. Still to this day, I don't know, but I can tell you it wasn't a chilli. <laughs> Oh God! Funny people are funny. <laughs> yeah, well, the reason, and I'm fairly certain he walked away thinking, mm, "I'm not sure that's right," but the reason uh, he f was absolutely certain it was a chili was because when he bought it, it had a chili label in it. Oh, funny, yeah. <laughs> um, which are relatively easy if anyone's been to a garden centre. Relatively easy to swap over. Uh, it used to be the bane of my life when we when we run a garden centre, people taking labels out and, and moving them onto other things. <laughs> yeah, I've probably done that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if people want to get in contact and look up your Instagram feed and bits and pieces, how do they do that? 
Get us on Instagram and uh, Twitter as well. It's Mr. Underscore Plant Geek. Facebook is Mr. Plant Geek. And the website is mrplantgeek.com where you'll find all of those different links and kind of it'll let you know what I'm up to. There's always a lot of interesting little articles on the website as well because obviously I'm trying to look at horticulture from really, really different angles to what has been passed before. So, And people can link through to the podcast like that as well? Uh, yeah, there is a button on there that will take you to the plant-based podcast. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, it's been really nice for you to join us. It's uh, been a great chatting to you. Oh, cool. No worries. Nice to be here. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.